about it this week, about how these stories got me wondering about, about Luke and about how God's Spirit was directing him, especially if, you know, why did Luke tell it this way? What does, what does the Holy Spirit want us to realize about Jesus? How is, how is Luke setting up this gospel to help us understand the rest of the gospel? I don't know if you ever wondered about those things, about all the stories about Jesus uh, when he was young. Why did the Holy Spirit inspire Luke to write these stories? Of all the details of who Jesus is, all the things that reveal who he is as a son of God, why is the Holy Spirit saying, Luke, write these stories and include these details? What does the Spirit want us to see? What does the Spirit want us to realize about Jesus? This morning, we come to the final story of Jesus' youth. And essentially, these stories tell me or tell us where Jesus came from. They tell us why he came at all. But they also set the scene. They give a lens, so to speak, of how to read the rest of the gospel. Let me show you what I mean. All right. Every year, so let's begin here at uh, Luke chapter 2, verse 40, 41. Every year, his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the feast, according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. So the setting is important here. First of all, it's happening here in Jerusalem, at the center of Israel. This is where everything, this is like the capital city of God's people. And the story happens here at Passover. The biggest feast, the biggest uh, event um, each year when, they would, when the people would come to gather around or gather in Jerusalem around the temple uh, for the festival of Passover. It has these links to the Exodus, this watershed moment for the people of God and of God's redemption. But I'm going to come back to that in just a bit here when we start talking about themes. But I also want to make, point, make the point here is that Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. Now, it's important here to realize is that Jesus wasn't left behind. Jesus wasn't abandoned or misplaced. Jesus is the one acting here. Jesus stayed behind, even though he was 12, just a boy. I want us to know that Jesus is the one doing this. This is not something accidental, but God on purpose. Luke goes and he tells us more. He says, thinking he was in their company, thinking he was in their company they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him, his parents began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting around the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. A couple of things here. First is that un understand um, how Jesus' parents could have left him. Those of us who've had kids, we're thinking, like, what has happened here? I don't know, I was thinking, it reminds me of that movie, that, that famous Christmas movie, Home Alone, when the families are trying to group, and they're traveling. I think there's like two or three families all together, and they're all trying to travel at once, and they have like 14 or something kids, and they're trying to keep track of all of them, and one of the kids gets left behind. It's interesting because it, they, families travel different than, than we often do now. Usually we travel, uh, usually in just our immediate family. Uh, like when Tracy and I travel most of the time, it's just the four of us, us and, and the two boys. Um, but in the ancient world, one thing you would do for safety is you would travel in large groups. Uh, you were way less likely to be attacked if you were 40 or 50 people versus a group of two or three. Um, not only that, but we usually travel in our immediate family. They would often travel with their extended family. So you can imagine if Jesus is traveling, he has his parents, 
any brothers and sisters who might have come after him. He would likely be traveling with aunts and uncles, cousins, possibly his grandparents on both sides of the family. You can see it gets to be a pretty large group. Um, some of you, I know some of your families, when you get together at a holiday or a birthday, there's like 30 people or 40 people there for an event. Imagine trying to take all these people on a trip. Not only that, but I suspect too that in Jesus' day, uh, there were fewer helicopter parents than there are today now, where we obsess and hover over our kids, making sure that they don't get bumps and bruises. The kids had a bit more freedom then. But But when evening came, when all the families were together, they realized that Jesus isn't with them. They realized that he was missing and they went back. And it says in the text here that they found him after three days. So you can imagine if they had traveled for a day and they travel a day back and then they find him on the third day. And I want to point out here is where they found him. They found him at the temple. Now it's interesting because there's seven stories in these first two chapters of Luke. Of the seven stories, three of them happen at the temple. So if Jerusalem is the capital of of Israel, the temple is the capital, is the center of Judaism. In Judaism, the temple, that's like the epicenter of God. That's where God dwells. Everything radiates out, radiates out from the temple. Much like we see like our maps of uh, current maps today, especially in the Western world, North America is in the center. In the ancient world, the temple was in the center. That was the center of the world. So, if you think about these stories that happened, the first three stories, first is when the prophet comes, or sorry, when Gabriel comes and speaks to Zechariah in the temple, when Jesus is presented after he had been born, presented at the temple, and now here, the third story of the seven, where Jesus uh, is teach, or speaking with the teachers at the temple. The thing is, God is not doing something marginal here. He's not doing something in some secret remote place. He's doing it right at the center of Israel, right at the center of Judaism, the people of God. God is doing it right in the middle. And it says here that the teachers were amazed. The teachers of law, they were amazed. Now this is kind of a big deal, actually. Uh, not only is Jesus a child, um, but the thing is that Jesus is impressing them, but also, even more, he's 12 years old, which is one year older than you, Corbin. And Jesus is in the temple teaching, or speaking with the teachers. Now, it's, I think it's an important detail that Luke tells, because he could have just said, you know, when Jesus was a kid, these things happened, but he actually tells us how old he was. And part of it is because when a young man in Israel, when he was 13, he went through his bar mitzvah, uh, which is like a, a coming of age, a rite that you go through when you kind of, in a, in a way, become a man. And, and it's also, so Jesus hasn't gone through that. He's only 12. And yet he's here speaking with the religious elite, with the teachers of the teachers, the most, the smartest people uh, in Judaism. He's here answering their que- or asking them questions and providing amazing answers that amaze them. So it's remarkable that Jesus technically isn't a man yet, and yet he's speaking with them. I think that's why Luke tells us how old Jesus is in this story. Okay, so this is where their parents find him. And it says, when his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother, I can imagine there were a few other things too. Uh, His mother said, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. So 
Jesus' parents are rightly worried. I can just imagine Mary um, saying something, uh, you know, Jesus, what are you doing? How could you do this to your father and me? Now, it's interesting because when Mary asks that question, she's thinking, when she says father, she's thinking Joseph. But when Jesus responds to her and he says, I'm in my father's house, he means Yahweh, the Lord God. He says to her, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I had to be in my father's house? This is the key point of this whole story. This is the key phrase. This is where all of it is coming together that we would hear Jesus say these words. Yes, it's important to note Jesus was impressive to the teachers of the law at 12 years old. That's interesting. That helps uh, add information to the story, helps us realize who he is. But Luke, I think the spirit was moving in Luke to have him include this story specifically so we could hear Jesus say these words. That he could relate to us that this is what happened, this is what Jesus said when they were looking for him. While Joseph helped, re- how, while Joseph helped to raise Jesus, really, Jesus is Yahweh's boy. He is the son of God. Which when you couple that with ideas of a descendant of David, an anointed, anointed one, even the name Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. These things all start coming together and pointing to this reality that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, not only that, but Jesus, these are the first words, I don't know if you realize that, these are the first words Jesus speaks in the Gospel of Luke. Now, I want to be careful that we don't put too much weight on this, but I think it's important that these are the first words that he says. Did you not know? Or why were you looking for me? Did you not know I had to be in my father's house? Lastly, Luke ends with this last bit here. He says, Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. Luke, I think, wants us to realize that Jesus really is a good boy. It would be pretty significant in ancient uh, Near Eastern culture for your child to to disobey your kids, or to, sorry, to disobey his parents. And he's trying to say that this was not Jesus disobeying his parents so much as it was for him obeying his father, his father in heaven. It's not that he's a problem child, that he's obedient to his father, even if that meant disobedience to Mary and Joseph. Then again, Mary says here, or says here, Luke tells us that she treasured all these things up in her heart, just like she did when Jesus was born and the angel, or sorry, the shepherds came uh, and told them about this child. She's treasuring these things. So we see this repetition or this, this theme of Mary treasuring. Not only that, but Jesus grew in wisdom, age, and favor with God. Now, interesting because these things, this sounds very much the way it kind of closed John's story of John being born, John the Baptist. And so, Luke, there's some parallels here as well. He's getting us to look forward to these two boys, to who John the Baptist will grow to be and who Jesus will grow to be. All right. So this story is the conclusion of chapter 2, the the sort of origin story of Jesus about who he is and where he came from. The thing is, it's just one story. But there, like we've already been alluding to, there's actually seven stories in the first two chapters of Luke. Let me just line them out for you. First, there's the story when Gabriel shows up at the temple and tells Zechariah that he's going to have a son. Then... There's a story when Gabriel shows up with, or, or appears to Mary and tells her that she's going to have a son and his name will be Jesus. Then there's a story when Elizabeth, when Mary visits Elizabeth, goes to see her, 
And then Elizabeth says, you know, why am I so blessed that the, the mother of my Lord should visit me? And then Mary sings her famous song of praise called the Magnificat. Then the next story is John when he's born. And Zechariah praises God with a song. It's actually given a name. It's called the Benedictus. Then again, and then the next story is when Jesus is born. And now you have angels praising God for what he has done. Then Jesus is presented at the temple. And Simeon praises God. And then this seventh story here, Jesus at the temple, where he has given us his first words. Now, it's interesting. I'm not sure uh, if Luke meant this, but it is interesting to me that seven is a significant number in Israel, and there's seven stories of these first two chapters. I'm not sure quite what to make of that, um, but it's in, it is interesting to me. These stories, they show us important things, recurring themes about Jesus. They re reveal aspects of who he is. It's sort of like each story adds a layer of significance. Each story helps us realize in new ways who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Let me just show you what I mean. First, Gabriel foretells John's birth. We realize, he says, um, the Gabriel quotes uh, Micah, or sorry, Malachi, and he says, uh, I make, I go, he says, he will make a people ready for the Lord. He's talking about a Messiah. Then Gabriel meets with Mary, and talks about the, the birth that she will give to, a, to her son, Jesus. And we realize here that he will be a king, or a king from the house of David, and he will be the son of God. Then, we have the story when Mary visits Elizabeth and praises God, like we talked. And here, we realize in her, the song that Mary sing, sings, she actually quotes psalms that refer to God's uh, salvation, but also songs that recount the exodus, that remember what, that God had brought his people out of slavery. Then, Jesus is born and Zechariah praises God. And in Zechariah's song, we hear the themes again of a, a king from the house of David, of salvation again, of exodus again. Then, when Jesus is born, we hear the angels speaking and praising God and they talk about a Messiah from the house of David who will bring salvation that will bring, be for all people. So we added this sixth theme for everyone. So you can see these things, these themes are touched on in each story. Different stories, are the, the various stories have different elements and they all are, are talking about these themes. And then when Jesus is presented at the temple and Simeon praises God, again, he praises God for that he has seen his salvation. He talks about a light that will be for the Gentiles. Again, the savior for all people. And then this seventh story where Jesus is at the temple where he gives us his first words. All of these things, again, you can see that Jesus is the Son of God. He talks about, I am in my Father's house. I think I wanted to bring all this together for us this morning so we could see a couple things. First of all, that we could see the bigger picture here. That not only is it important to see that Jesus is the Son of God here at the temple, but we see how all these stories fit together. That each story is good, but we can begin to see, we can lose sight of the fact that these stories are actually connected and they build on each other. And they're meant to develop themes that we carry with us. I was thinking about it this week, it's sort of like, uh, maybe it's still a little too close to Christmas, it's sort of like one light. A story is like one light on a string. It's good, it provides light, it illuminates, but it's good also too when we take a minute and we zoom out. And we realize that that one 
is actually connected to a bunch of other stories. And it runs along a structure of like a story, like these lights wrapped around this post. Or when you can zoom out even further, you realize actually that this one story is a part of hundreds of other stories. Whether it's the stories of the Gospels, and I don't know, this week I was thinking about it, like each of these posts, there's actually, it's a four beam or a four post fence, that each one of those posts is like one of the four Gospels. And so these are the lights that are wrapped around Luke's gospel, his story that he's telling. But there's also Mark's gospel and John's gospel and Matthew's gospel. That all these stories together help us realize who Jesus is. Now, one light is beautiful, but when you start to see them all together like this, organized on this fence, I don't know, just there's something about it, there's beauty in it. And you start to realize the significance, not only of the one light, but all the lights together. It's the same with these stories. That when we hear and we read scripture, in light of scripture, it adds meaning. The themes begin to come through and they help us to see who Jesus is, even though Luke can't, didn't just line out these things for us each time he talks about who Jesus is, about being a Messiah or Son of God. I wanted us to see these stories to help us so we don't actually miss the forest for the trees. But I also wanted to gather these stories so that we could see them all together. That in this one succinct moment, we realize that Jesus is the Messiah that he is the, the king from the house of David, that he is the son of God, that he's the one who's brought God's salvation, that he's provided this new exodus, maybe not out of a, of a literal land of Egypt, but out of, out of uh, slavery to sin and out of its oppression, and that this good news will be for all people. These are all things that we know about Jesus, but when you see them all together here at this moment, having read through uh, the first two chapters of Luke, they start to have more weight. But not only that, not only do they kind of, not only does it add more meaning and more inf or information about who Jesus is, do we realize who he is, but it also gives us a lens, a lens from which to read the rest of Luke's gospel. Now, it's interesting because you might think, oh, well, you know, it's just the gospels. But actually, Mark's gospel begins with Jesus, uh, Jesus' baptism, essentially. And Luke gives us this earlier story to help us see what's happening at the baptism to see what's happening in the next stories that are coming, that we realize that Jesus really is this Messiah, that Jesus is the king who comes from the line of David, that he's the son of God, that he wasn't born of a, of a husband and a wife, but he was actually born of God, that he's the one who brings God's salvation, that he's the one who's leading this new exodus out of a land of oppression, of slavery, and into a new land, a promised land of grace and redemption. And this will not be just for the Israel people of Israel. It will actually be for all people, for all of us included. I'm sharing all this with you today because I want you to, real, to realize these things. You know, we read the stories and we, get, we can get excited. And if we would have just listened to the story of Jesus when he's at the temple, the young boy, or a 12-year-old boy, we would, have been, we would have left thinking, wow, Jesus is the Son of God. But this morning, I wanted to bring all of these together, all of these themes from the themes that have been, that Luke has been developing, that the Holy Spirit is saying, Luke, share this story because it will reveal that Jesus is the Messiah, that Jesus is the Son of God, that he comes from the house of David, that he's doing a new exodus that will bring salvation that will be for all people. I want us to hear these stories and rejoice. To join Simeon, to join Mary, to join Zechariah, to join the people around the world praising God for who he is. Amen.
pastor. Let's stand together as we close this song. I really love the words resonating in this final chorus. Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Power and majesty, praise to the King. I know these are the ones up there. This is the 